everybody. In this episode of the Digital Literacies Podcast, we'll be discussing visual literacy. What is it? How our professional experiences intersect with visual literacy? And what it means for 21st century learners and educators? I'm Catherine, an art museum educator, and today I'm with Dana and Adriana. I'm Adriana, and I am an ENL teacher. For those of you who don't know, ENL stands for English as a New Language, and I use imagery and images all the time to make content comprehensible for my students. Hi, I'm Dana. I am an art teacher for elementary schoolers, and I obviously use a lot of images in the classroom. I show my students plenty of artwork, um, so this is definitely an important topic for my field. So we, for class, we've all read kind of several different readings about visual literacy and trying to come to an understanding of what it is. So I think just kind of, I'm interested in hearing on whatever readings you read, because we've all read similar and different ones, what what does it mean to be visually literate? What does visual literacy mean? I think there was a quote in Cordell, that article, that doesn't quite define it, but I think it really explains it perfectly. And it was on page four. It says, visual literacy infuses all aspects of learning and is an integral part of every curricular area. And I just think that means that images are everywhere, and I think we use them for more than just to look at. I think we use them to develop meaning, and especially for me, um, teachers kind of use them to support the message that they're trying to convey or maybe the point of a lesson. Well, I, I totally agree with you because, I mean, I didn't pull a quote from page four, but there is another point in which Cordell says visual literacy is the ability to comprehend, analyze, evaluate, create, and communicate with images. So it's totally yeah. cross-curricular, intercurricular, however you want to take it. And I think it really touches too on last week in our class, we read um, a reading by Soul and Warwick that talked about the four C's that we were all talking about, critical thinking, communication, collaboration, and creativity, which are also used for creating the Common Core Standards. And I think that's completely what looking at visuals does. And for the sake of this podcast, I do want to say whenever I'm referring to visuals, I'm immediately thinking of two and three dimensional artwork in a museum. But I realize that there is a much broader scope of what visual literacy means. Yeah, I completely agree. Another quote that I liked from Cordell was, print isn't something the human brain was built for. Mm. And I think that's just is a good quote that goes off of what we're saying, how important those visual images are, especially for learning and creating those skills. And I think students often when they're given a reading and it's pages after pages, they're not engaged, they're not interested, they have no motivation to sit down and read that. But if there are really cool images in it, or um, maybe even some of the images help them learn, I think they're much more intrigued and it gives them more motivation to be um, a good learner. Right. Same thing for ESL. If I just give students vocabulary words and, you know, no no images next to them, it, I'm not really helping them because if you're learning a new language, you know, it's not so easy to remember, you know, how the word is spelt or how to pronounce it, what it means. To have that extra little helper there next to, you know, the word is just going to make it a little bit more easier for them to absorb. Yeah, I found that in a museum setting too, that 
looking at images and kind of letting individuals make their own interpretation of it and state what they see in it, it really, you can access, you can make it accessible for so many people. I can't tell you how many times that I've had a field trip and then a teacher will say like, this is the student never shares like this in class. Like they never talk this much. And it just feels like this kind of safe space, at least that we say that there's no wrong answer when you're talking about a visual image, which I guess, I don't know if this article would completely agree with that because they're like images need to be vetted for accuracy, reliability, relevance, and timeliness. Mm. So I don't know if they would completely agree that artworks are really open to interpretation. And I guess, I guess it's not just artwork, it's any visual image. Yeah, maybe. I guess it would depend on the purpose. Like if you're teaching with it, then you obviously it needs to be for a certain purpose. I, you know, that could be interpreted in a different way too. Yeah, there's, there's, I mean, and I guess this goes to, we've, we've been discussing a reflexive pedagogy where it is this blend of didactic and authentic which is I think what you're coming towards that when we're looking at an artwork it's not just this total open experience um the Cordell article also brings up some questions like guiding questions and I immediately wrote them down it was kind of you know what do you notice what more can we find and this is actually a strategy that is used by museums called visual thinking strategies VTS and it is a set of three questions um but if you're very strict with it, you can't ask any other questions. And so there's really this kind of blend of interpreting an image. Um, I wanted to share with you, there is a book called Teaching in the Art Museum by an educator called Rika Burnham and Elliot Kaiki. And they really talk about this, that they want people to start with their initial observation of an artwork and then really kind of ask questions, but not just be about the questions because sometimes people feel there's a wrong or a right answer and they really want it to be, I'm just going to read a quote from it. It says, we do not start out by asking questions. We begin and continue a dialogue based on viewers' perceptions and thoughts. We do not use questions to force participation or to test anyone's knowledge or competence. We do not formulate questions in advance. We don't distinguish good from bad. We allow questions to arise out of the encounter with the artwork and when they do arise, they provide direction as we search for meaning together. Questions generate answers and ideas, which generate more questions. In this exchange among teacher, visitor, and artwork, the artworks come alive to their viewers. So I think it's that kind of idea of critically looking at an artwork and making connections and collaboration with other people who are looking at it with you or connections with your prior knowledge or something you're studying. Yeah, I definitely um, use those strategies in my classroom as well, you know, showing students an artwork and, you know, flat out asking are these warm or cool colors is not like the way to get them thinking critically about it. It's a straight answer. So um, that was definitely something I struggled with at first, you know, in my student teaching days when um, I had to learn how to appropriately question students about artworks, you know, saying, so what do you notice about this artwork? What kind of feeling do you get? Um, And things like that that are more um, multifaceted and can have many different answers. And I think, especially with the little kids, it's very interesting, like some of the answers you get, you know, I myself, I'm like, oh, wow, like, I I didn't even notice that. And so I think it really 
like you're learning from them in a way um, when you ask these questions. Their minds are just on a totally different level. They're like so open. And they and they're so observant and they'll say things and I totally agree. I'm just like, I didn't I never noticed that before you said that. That's so interesting. And then just kind of let that guide something there. So I want to go back to this idea of when we were defining what visual literacy is and how it connects with critical thinking skills and 21st century learning skills, these four C's that are incorporated in the standards. And, you know, we're saying this and saying the importance of visual literacy in the world of our students today, but why isn't there more of a focus on art in schools? If it teaches you these four C's, which are then for 21st century learners that can be applied elsewhere and cross-disciplinary, why isn't art seen as something that's necessarily integral? And maybe there's no answer for this right now, and maybe this is a topic for another podcast episode, but that's something I was thinking about. If it provides a point of access and helps all of these other skills grow when done um, in a way that promotes critical thinking and questioning and kind of analyzing a work. Why isn't this incorporated more? It's true. Cause we look at, I mean, if you think about it, we look at art all the time in some way, shape or form on social media, you know, a picture that someone takes, it's in a sense art and it gets posted. So it, it's true. I don't know why, but I wish, I wish art would become <laughs> part of our education oh. more. Definitely. Oh. I think that, um, I think I totally agree. Everything is art these days. I yeah. think even companies like big businesses, they want that creative mind to step into their business area and um, come up with these creative ideas. So it really, it does make sense to have it in the classroom. But oftentimes, I guess, um, you know, those special areas are the first to go, I guess, mm-hmm. with budget cuts and stuff. But you're totally right. I think Um, analyzing images and just building those creative skills in the classroom are super important. Um, Another thing that I had written down in the Cordell reading was about um, actually posting images like you were talking about. Um, And there was this past, there was this paragraph about um, students need to work thoughtfully with images, Mm -hmm. um, but posting pictures and seeing them isn't enough. So I guess I was wondering what you thought about that, about, um, you know, posting images and seeing them versus um, actually looking at them and analyzing them. Well, Adriana, I think you had a different reading than us, but Dana and I both had to read an article, A Journey Through Art Education for Wired Youth. And so what we were just talking about, what you were saying about how, you know, visual imagery is everywhere around us. And then what you are kind of just consuming rather than creating. Um, Duncombe talks in this article, and there's this one quote that's like pulled right away onto the front page of the article that says, a dialogic, playful pedagogy acknowledges students' pleasures by allowing students to have fun with their cultural preferences. So it's basically saying, you know, when we're teaching art, we can't just focus on art history, and we can't even just focus on contemporary artists who are creating now. They're like, if they are surrounded by this visual imagery all the time if it's you know a tiktok dance or um any a meme that they've seen or or youtube tutorial why aren't we using that in art education why aren't we studying that and it talks about you know it asks how can teachers help overcome limitations so if this is the visual culture that they're seeing why aren't we incorporating it and helping them to kind of 
finesse those skills. Like if they're interested in filming a YouTube video, why aren't we teaching um, editing and making graphics that go into those videos? So I thought that was really interesting. What you're saying Cordell kind of brought up too, but he calls it like critical consumers. The whole quote is that whether learners express a personal preference for visual, auditory, kinesthetic experiences, they need to be critical consumers of data presented visually in our modern multimedia culture. So like, it just goes back to the point, like, why, why aren't we doing it then? We're doing it to an extent, but it's really not like, I would, I guess I would say as much of a focus. Well, I guess there's kind of like two things I'm thinking about for that, that one, um, this Duncan article talks about that you know, teachers might be hesitant to do it because of their own limitations, that this is something that, and we've talked about this before too. I think Dana, you had brought it up about Adobe, um, all the Adobe programs and Lightroom and Illustrator. And if we weren't taught that in high school, but now our high schoolers need to know that this is a limitation on the teacher's half that you kind of constantly have to be learning. And then the other point that he kind of brings up, um, it kind of really goes into a discussion about how even in art, there was this distinction of fine art and good art. And then when people started bringing in popular culture, like that was kind of a hard, like when we think of pop culture and you teach pop art, people automatically think of Andy Warhol and bringing in these mass consumer products. So bringing in that visual culture from around you and incorporating it. Um, And so I was even just thinking that he talks about, you know, why was there this pushback of, are there artists incorporating the visual media around them and using that in their art? Is there this kind of like hybrid, you know, for teaching students to make YouTube, can they be riffing on other videos and editing them? And I actually thought of two contemporary artists who there's one artist named Kenny Scharf who got his start in New York city in the eighties. But some of his early work, what he was doing, he was one of these first generations to grow up watching TV all the time and so he starts pulling on the Jetsons and the Flintstones and using them in his artwork and making his own versions of them. I can't completely describe it. So if you're interested, you're just going to have to go look it up. And there's another artist named Ashley Longshore who actually uses pop culture figures that she kind of idolizes and makes works about them. But she rose to fame on Instagram. She was kind of one of the first Instagram artists and she is, I don't even know what her net worth is and she just wants art to be fun and it to be things that she likes and that she looks up to and she's interested in and so I think that's this kind of maybe that would be something that you could kind of use as like a jumping point right I often um, have these conversations with my students about like original works of art and what it means to be original and we have spoken about like Andy Warhol and his pop art and Um, You know, I have had like my fifth grade students kind of turn and talk and discuss what it means to be original and if he copied them, if he should be allowed to copy them. Um, And they definitely, I would say most of them felt like he definitely like ripped off um, the other companies for what he did or even talked about, um, you know, the... Um, Shepherd Fairy has that um, uh, picture of Obama and it says hope and he got mm-hmm. like sued over it. Yes. So I told them about that as well. So we talked about if he should have 
who should have won that case if it was um, a copy or if it was just, um, or if he should have been allowed to use that image. Um, so I think these are really great conversations to even have with your students and hear their opinions. But it's definitely an interesting thing because I think even when I'm, they're asking me um, for ideas of what they can draw and they draw the YouTube symbol, like, should I be allowing them to draw that? Is that original? Um, so it's definitely a constant battle that I feel like I have with myself about the artwork that I'm allowing my students to create. Well, look at look at even the discussion you're saying you have with them that you they're analyzing and evaluating these images. You know, we're talking about these being the skills that we want to teach students and that this idea of appropriation versus plagiarism versus what's OK or not. That's totally doing what all of these readings are saying of really being critical thinkers of the visual culture that they're consuming. Definitely. Yeah. So, Adriana, what was in your reading with the um because I know you were yes. the technology reading. So this what one, kind of interesting things did that one say? So this one was by Apcon, All the World's a Screen. So leading in from what we talked about imagery, he talks about how putting up these pictures or posting these videos are a way for people to connect with others. But in doing so, either being either posting it or me say sharing it with you guys online is a social risk which to me makes sense now that I thought about it more since reading it because there's been plenty of times when I've wanted to tag someone in something and then I'm like oh yeah I won't send it because <laughs> either way like to put it out there and then for me to share it like I may like it but I don't know how someone else is going to react or if they're going to like it. So it's like a, this whole emotional, psychological thing to it. I wonder um, I wonder if that's why, no, just totally going what you're saying about this idea of social risk, I wonder if that's why kids like to draw things that they know from like the YouTube symbol or cartoons or whatever, because it feels like, well, it's already out there and it's already done. So it's not as scary to be drawing it because it's not my own original. It's I you're learning by copying, but like they're also it feel it might feel safe that they're not taking a risk and doing their own thing that could maybe get shut down by others that they're just maybe that's not what your article meant by social risk, but I think that's maybe why. Because um, everyone's judgmental, especially on the internet. So there's it's valid to be kind of like. I guess, afraid to, to share or to post, but his, this person, he made his career off of recognizing that videos go viral because there's this formula and basically his videos were purposely like ludicrous. He did these ridiculous things. So, but it grabbed people's attention and, you know, one thing after another, you know, he has millions of views and his videos are all over the place. Great. I think it also goes back to, um, you know, the standards that we read for the K through 12 schools and um, about mm. students leaving their footprint and teaching them that whatever they post online is mm. there for the world to see. Yes. Um, and I think it's definitely hard for kids to realize that. And I think um, they 
don't often realize the consequences that come along with that. And I think a lot of times, even going back to what we were saying, I think they feel like they can kind of hide behind a screen Mm. and they can post things and they might not, it might not be as scary to them to post it, but in the long run, it could end up being detrimental to them. So I think that's a whole other topic, but, but I think they also need, I feel like they also have a need to do it. Like, I think they just want to keep up with the times and the trends and they want to make these TikToks and these YouTube videos. I think that it all goes back to those visual images. They want to create them and they want to post them. Um, And it's becoming this like all encompassing thing of, you know, if you don't do it, then you're, you don't fit in kind of thing. You know what you were saying about a digital footprint, and that they might not realize when they're creating these images and putting there, and then there's this risk of that. I think that completely goes back to for being visually literate and being a critical thinker about it, also kind of understanding how long it can kind of last out there. And then, one last point for me is that you know, talking about what they're interested in and putting things out there and thinking about risk, but then going back to saying we need to help like engage their interest and by using the visual media that they're surrounding themselves in. I just listened to this podcast episode from a podcast called How To with Charles Duhigg and it was called How to Ace Zoom School. And it was basically, it was basically with an author of a book and she was speaking with parents who were concerned about screen time and how much screen time their kids are getting with school. And it was basically saying, aren't we surrounded by screens all the time? Don't you look up recipes on your phone? Don't you want to chill in front of like the TV later at night? So it's kind of assessing what you're looking at, which I think again, goes back to being critically thinking. And it's talking about if you're child is obsessed with watching YouTube videos and then use it to extend other skills. We're kind of starting to come full circle with all of the things we're bringing up, even though I think we could probably talk for like another (laughs) 40 minutes about this topic. Clearly we have a lot to say. (laughs) It's okay though, because you know what? It's better to have more than less. And I think that just speaks to how important this topic is. After reading these two articles, I you just you don't think about it. That's why, and then you come to realize, like, oh my god, it, it's everywhere, everywhere. Mm-hmm. One last museum story is that sometimes kids will come in and they'll be if there is, you know, a textile on design or, uh, excuse me, on display, they'll be like, why is this in an art museum? Why is this here? How is this art? And it's everything you're seeing out in the world whether it is a movie or an illustration in a book or the clothing you're wearing or the sneakers on your feet somebody designed them and yes this broadens it up a little bit more outside of visual um, media but I think thinking of artists and designers and creating things themselves being active participants that just to realize how much it surrounds you in your daily life yeah, definitely. I feel like they don't always realize all the mediums. Like I, I like in a way, obviously, you know, a TikTok video, I don't think you would consider art, but like in a way, you're like what you were talking about before, like filmography and stuff like that. Like in a way, filming yourself is kind of it is. an art, you it know? It is. It's and, like... and the choreography have. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yes. It's a clip of, of someone's life where they're being whatever, silly or dancing and they're sharing it. It's, it is. I would count it as that. That is a really great way for us to end. Agreed. Yes, definitely. (laughs) All right. So until next time.
Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.